Letter thirty five of Clarissa Harlowe, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty five. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Wednesday, eleven o'clock, April fifth. I must write as I have opportunity, making use of my concealed stores, for my pens and ink, all of each that they could find, are taken from me, as I shall tell you about more particularly by and by. About an hour ago I deposited my long letter to you, as also in the usual place a billet to Mr. Lovelace, lest his impatience should put him upon some rashness, signifying in four lines that the interview was over, and that I hoped my steady refusal of Mr. Solmes would discourage any further applications to me in his favour. Although I was unable, through the fatigue I had undergone, and by reason of sitting up all night, to write to you, which made me lie longer than ordinary this morning, to deposit my letter to you sooner, yet I hope you will have it in such good time, as that you will be able to send me an answer to it this night, or in the morning early, which, if ever so short, will inform me whether I may depend upon your mother's indulgence or not. This it behoves me to know as soon as possible, for they are resolved to hurry me away on Saturday next at furthest, perhaps to-morrow. I will now inform you of all that has happened previous to their taking away my pen and ink, as well as of the manner in which that act of violence was committed, and this as briefly as I can. My aunt, who, as well as Mr. Solmes and my two uncles, lives here, I think, came up to me, and said she would fain have me hear what Mr. Solmes had to say of Mr. Lovelace, only that I may be apprised of some things that would convince me what a vile man he is, and what a wretched husband he must make. I might give them what degree of credit I pleased, and take them with abatement for Mr. Solmes's interestedness, if I thought fit, but it might be of use to me, were it but to question Mr. Lovelace indirectly upon some of them, that related to myself. I was indifferent, I said, about what he could say of me, and I was sure it could not be to my disadvantage, and as he had no reason to impute to me the forwardness which my unkind friends had so causelessly taxed me with. She said that he gave himself high airs on account of his family, and spoke as despicably of ours, as if an alliance with us were beneath him. I replied, that he was a very unworthy man, if it were true, to speak slightingly of a family which was as good as his own, baiting that it was not allied to the peerage, that the dignity itself, I thought, conveyed more shame than honour to descendants, who had not merit to adorn, as well as to be adorned by it, that my brother's absurd pride, indeed, which made him everywhere declare he would never marry but to quality, gave a disgraceful preference against ours, but that were I to be assured that Mr. Lovelace was capable of so mean a pride as to insult us or value himself on such an accidental advantage, I should think as despicably of his sense as everybody else did of his morals. She insisted upon it that he had taken such liberties, it would be but common justice, so much hated as he was by all our family, and so much inveighed against in all companies by them, to inquire into the provocation he had to say what was imputed to him, and whether the value some of my friends put upon the riches they possess, throwing perhaps contempt upon every other advantage, and even discrediting their own pretensions to family, in order to depreciate his, might not provoke him to like contempts. "'Upon the whole, madam,' said I, "'can you say that the inveteracy lies not as much on our side as on his? Can he say anything of us more disrespectful than we say of him? And as to the suggestion so often repeated that he will make a bad husband, is it possible for him to use a wife worse than I am used, particularly by my brother and sister?' "'Ah, niece!' Ah, my dear, how firmly has this wicked man attached you? Perhaps not, madam. But really great care should be taken by fathers and mothers, when they would have their daughters of their minds in these particulars, not to say things that shall necessitate the child in honour and generosity, to take part with the man her friends are averse to. 
but waiving all this as i have offered to renounce him for ever i see not why he should be mentioned to me nor why i should be wished to hear anything about him well but still my dear there can be no harm to let mr solmes tell you what mr lovelace has said of you severely as you have treated mr solmes he is fond of attending you once more he begs to be heard on this head if it be proper for me to hear it madam it is eagerly interrupted she very proper has what he has said of me madam convinced you of mr lovelace's baseness it has my dear and that you ought to abhor him for it then dear madam be pleased to let me hear it from your mouth there is no need that i should see mr solmes when it will have double the weight from you what madam has the man dared to say of me my aunt was quite at a loss at last well said she i see how you are attached i am sorry for it miss for i do assure you it will signify nothing you must be mr solmes and that in a very few days if consent of heart and assent of voice be necessary to a marriage i am sure i never can nor ever will be married to mr solmes and what will any of my relations be answerable for if they force my hand into his and hold it there till the service be read i perhaps insensible and in fits all the time what a romantic picture of a forced marriage have you drawn niece some people would say you have given a fine description of your own obstinacy child my brother and sister would but you madam distinguish i am sure between obstinacy and aversion supposed aversion may owe its rise to real obstinacy my dear i know my own heart madam i wish you did well but see mr solmes once more niece it will oblige and make for you more than you imagine what should i see him for madam is the man fond of hearing me declare my aversion to him is he desirous of having me more and more incense my friends against myself oh my cunning my ambitious brother ah my dear with a look of pity as if she understood the meaning of my exclamation but must that necessarily be the case it must madam if they will take offence at me for declaring my steadfast detestation of mr solmes as a husband mr solmes is to be pitied said she he adores you he longs to see you once more he loves you the better for your cruel usage of him yesterday he is in raptures about you ugly creature thought i he in raptures what a cruel wretch must he be said i who can enjoy the distress to which he so largely contributes but i see i see madam that i am considered as an animal to be baited to make sport for my brother and sister and mr solmes they are all all of them wanton in their cruelty i madam see the man the man so incapable of pity indeed i will not see him if i can help it indeed i will not what a construction does your lively wit put upon the admiration mr solmes expresses of you passionate as you were yesterday and contemptuously as you treated him he dotes upon you for the very severity by which he suffers he is not so ungenerous a man as you think him nor has he an unfeeling heart let me prevail upon you my dear as your father and mother expected of you to see him once more and hear what he has to say to you how can i consent to see him again when yesterday's interview was interpreted by you madam as well as by every other as an encouragement to him when i myself declared that if i saw him a second time by my own consent it might be so taken and when i am determined never to encourage him you might spare your reflections upon me miss i have no thanks either from one side or the other and away she flung dearest madam said i following her to the door but she would not hear me further and her sudden breaking from me occasioned a hurry to some mean listener as the slipping of a foot from the landing-place on the stairs discovered to me i had scarcely recovered myself from this attack when up came betty miss said she your company is desired below stairs in your own parlour by whom betty how can i tell miss perhaps by your sister perhaps by your brother i know they won't come upstairs to your apartment again is mr solmes gone betty 
"'I believe he is, miss. Would you have him sent for back?' said the bold creature. Down I went, and to whom should I be sent for but to my brother and Mr. Soames, the latter standing sneaking behind the door, so that I saw him not till I was mockingly led by the hand into the room by my brother, and then I started as if I had beheld a ghost. "'You are to sit down, Clary. And what then, brother?' Why, then, you are to put off that scornful look and hear what Mr. Soames has to say to you. Sent down for to be baited again, thought I. Madam, said Mr. Soames, as if in haste to speak, lest he should not have an opportunity given him, and indeed he judged right. Mr. Lovelace is a declared marriage-hater, and has a design upon your honour, if ever. Base accuser, said I, in a passion, snatching my hand from my brother, who was insolently motioning to give it to Mr. Soames. He has not, he dares not. "'But you have, if endeavouring to force a free mind, be to dishonour it.' "'Oh, thou violent creature!' said my brother. "'But not gone yet,' for I was rushing away. "'What mean you, sir,' struggling vehemently to get away, "'to detain me thus against my will? "'You shall not go, violence!' clasping his unbrotherly arms about me. "'Then let not Mr. Soames stay. "'Why hold you me thus? "'He shall not for your own sake, if I can help it, "'see how barbarously a brother can treat a sister "'who deserves not evil treatment.' and I struggled so vehemently to get from him, that he was forced to quit my hand, which he did with these words, "'Begone, then, fury! How strong is will! There is no holding her!' And up I flew to my chamber, and locked myself in, trembling and out of breath. In less than a quarter of an hour up came Betty. I let her in upon her tapping, and asking, half out of breath, too, for admittance. "'The Lord have mercy upon us,' said she. "'What a confusion of a house is this!' Hurrying up and down, fanning herself with her handkerchief, such angry masters and mistresses, such an obstinate young lady, such a humble lover, such enraged uncles, such, oh, dear, dear, what a topsy-turvy house is this, and all for what now? Only because a young lady may be happy and will not? Only because a young lady will have a husband and will not have a husband? What hurly-burlies are here, where all used to be peace and quietness? Thus she ran on to herself, while I sat as patiently as I could, being assured that her errand was not designed to be a welcome one to me, to observe when her soliloquy would end. At last, turning to me, "'I must do as I am bid. I can't help it. Don't be angry with me, miss. But I must carry down your pen and ink, and that this moment.' "'By whose order?' "'By your papa's and mamma's. "'How shall I know that?' She offered to go to my closet. I stepped in before her. "'Touch it if you dare.' Up came my cousin Dolly. "'Madam!' madam said the poor weeping good-natured creature in broken sentences you must indeed you must deliver to betty or to me your pen and ink must i my sweet cousin then i will to you but not to this bold body and so i gave my standish to her i am sorry very sorry said she miss to be the messenger but your papa will not have you in the same house with him he is resolved you shall be carried away to-morrow or saturday at furthest and therefore your pen and ink are taken away that you may give nobody notice of it and away went the dear girl very sorrowful carrying down with her my standish and all its furniture and a little parcel of pens beside which having been seen when the great search was made she was bid to ask for as it happened i had not diminished it having hid half a dozen crow quills in as many different places it was lucky for i doubt not they had numbered how many were in the parcel Betty ran on, telling me that my mother was now as much incensed against me as anybody, that my doom was fixed, that my violent behaviour had not left one to plead for me, that Mr. Soames bit his lip and muttered, and seemed to have more in his head than could come out at his mouth, that was her phrase. And yet she also hinted to me that the cruel wretch took pleasure in seeing me, although so much to my disgust. 
and so wanted to see me again must he not be a savage my dear the wench went on that my uncle harlowe said that now he gave me up that he pitied mr solmes yet hoped he would not think of this to my detriment hereafter that my uncle antony was of opinion that i ought to smart for it and for her part and then as one of the family she gave her opinion of the same side as i have no other way of hearing anything that is said or intended below i bear sometimes more patiently than i otherwise should do with her impertinence and indeed she seems to be in all my brother's and sister's counsels miss harvey came up again and demanded an half-pint ink bottle which they had seen in my closet i gave it her without hesitation if they have no suspicion of my being able to write they will perhaps let me stay longer than otherwise they would this my dear is now my situation all my dependence all my hopes are in your mother's favour but for that i know not what i might do for who can tell what will come next end of letter thirty five